Hello, hello. Today is October 26, 2021, and this is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank, and his name is Alex. What's up, brother? It's been a minute. What is up, man? First of all, a humongous congratulations to Mr. Frank Huerta on completing his very first marathon this past weekend. Uh, and I hear congratulations are also due to your lady who ran a half marathon and no notice. Correct. Five days notice. Um, she was just kind of having a morning um, on a Monday and just texted me, said she's going to sign up for the half marathon. Jesus. And I was like, hell yeah, do it. The registration online was already closed. So we went to the expo where we were told we could register and they said it was closed. Uh. And so... I was like, what do you want to do? And before I could even get the sentence out, she's like, I'm running this. So I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> so she showed up, she ran it. Um, there won't be an official time because she wasn't registered, but she even copped a medal. So that was pretty oh, cool, man. Nice. I, I, I think her uh, accomplishment is is far greater than than mine. I mean, I just, to do that on on no notice, just, just to say that you, you're going to do it and then do it and then do it well, do it in two and a half hours. Um, yeah, I was just so proud. So say I'll have whatever coffee she was having that you day know, when she was you know? just said, fuck it, let's do it. It was wild. <laughs> and then wild. did you hit your goal? How'd it go? Oh, How'd no. Walk no. me through it. God. No. Um, so the first 10 miles were great. Mm -hmm. And when I say great, I mean, they were like, the whole thing was a blur, but they were like a blur. It was like, I wasn't even there. I was just in a trance. I was just running and it was frigging awesome, dude. It was so much fun. Nice. Um, and then I just turned a corner feeling great. And I just felt this pain in my left groin, like mm. left hip, upper groin. And I'm like, oh fuck, like that hurts, you know? Mm -hmm. And I continued to go on and I'm like, oh shit, that hurts. And so I found a medical tent and I told the, the lady there, I was like, yo, I'm not feeling great. She's like, well, well, can you make this movement? Like, you know how you like lift your like hip just up like that? Yeah. And I couldn't do it. And she was like, all right, well, there's a shuttle. You probably shouldn't continue. And I was like, I don't know. I came mm. all this way. There's no way. Yeah. What, what point, where is this at? Where is this at? Mile. It was like 10 and a half. Okay. And I knew, like, I knew I was good. Like I could keep going, but it just like, it was debilitating. So I was like, is there anything you can give me? And so she gives me a thousand milligrams of Tylenol. And I was like, all right. She goes, there's like another medical tent two miles down the road. She goes, you don't have to be a hero. There's shuttles. They can take you you know, just see how you're feeling. So I start hobbling down the road another two miles. And by the time I got to that next tent, I had no more pain in my, in my groin, no, no. which was great. But because of that, whatever, because of that stumble, I started to cramp in my right side. Mm. I don't know if I was favoring it or what. So the last like 11 miles, dude, I made it to like mile 15. And then like the last 11 miles was just straight, like power of will, Nice. Walk, run, walk, run, cramp, just, just get there, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was like operation finish line by that point. So I got there in like five hours and I wanted to do it under four. So it is what it is, man. Uh, I finished and I feel good about it. That shit. I've been to those, man. And I'm, I've never ran one, but like standing there at the finish line, it's like a fucking battlefield, bro. You see people that are like hobbling, people yep. like crawling, people throwing up, pissing themselves. Like, yep. Just yep. to finish it is an amazing thing, brother. So you should be very proud of yourself. Thanks, man. It was cool. Uh, it felt really good on Sunday after we did it. We were just like laying, watching. We finished like a whole show on Netflix, ate Thai food and drank beer. And we just felt nice. really, really good, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah so. I'm sure. What show? What show were you watching? White Lotus. Ah, what'd you think? I loved the humor. Yeah. I thought the story was whatever, but the actors were great and the humor was, dude, it was so funny. It was so witty. And it was kind of like eight perfect strangers to me where I thought it was like, good. Could have been better. Could have been but better. I, I really liked the hotel concierge too. That dude was hilarious. Like yeah, the manager. He was funny. <laughs> he was funny. So was like the, the mom and the dad of the family. Mm -hmm. They were hilarious. And that guy, I was telling Jack and I was like, dude, that guy, the douchebag, the boy, the, the newlywed husband. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, he probably had the funnest time playing that role. You know who that was? No. 
He's he's like the intern from the office that comes in at the very like last season of that show. You don't say. The one that ends up he's like dating uh, it's not Pam, the other receptionist. I can't think of yeah, her name yeah, right now. You're about. But he and yeah, it's like him. And I, I, I saw him, I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Like the first episode or two of that show. And it like finally clicked. I was like, Oh, is that fucking dude? What the hell? He looks like Andy from the <laughs> office. He does, yeah. And he was Which wearing Cornell like shit too. That's mm-hmm. I think that's what made it click for me. Yep. <laughs> That's what's up. We watched a lot of TV this last week, week or two, man. A lot of Did shows. You? Yeah, eight. We finished Eight Perfect Strangers, White Lotus. We got caught up on you. You watched that show? No, never even heard of it. Pretty interesting. You like Dexter? Were you a Dexter fan? Mm-hmm. For about three three seasons. That comes back November seventh, the new show. But you, you has a lot of vibes like that. I was talking to Mister Ager about it yesterday, actually. But um, he like just started watching in the third season. I've been watching since it, it started. And I thought the second season sucked, kind of stopped watching it. But this new season was real good. And they're really leaning into like that Dexter self-narrated. Mm. They kind of really tell the story just like that show. But I, I, I like it a lot. So if you're a fan, check her out. Cool, man. Uh, and then you you had a little uh, trip to Colorado, no? I did, man. It was fucking everything I needed, man. It was it was beautiful. We, we went out there, uh, me, my brother... Uh, Mr. Babs, Mr. Chris Kelly, Mr. Pat Davison, we went out there and we were up in like the, the Wondervoo area in the mountains, maybe. I think we were about 9,000 feet up where our Airbnb was. And it, it was just beautiful, man. I, I can't, if, for people that have never been to Denver, it, it's just amazing, man. And, and there's just something about like that, that air, that, that mountain air, that scenery. And it just like, it's like a fucking reset switch, man. I swear to God. Like it I, makes you new, doesn't it? It does. I go camping in, in Wisconsin every year and it's, it's like that. But there's something different about like the the elevation and the like the scenery and like the what you're seeing it like enhances that feeling whatever that is. I agree um, with it. So it, it was it was beautiful, man. We couldn't ask for better weather. Better group of guys did a shit ton of hiking, whole bunch of of uh, smoking and and drinking and and just hanging, playing cards. We taught Babs how to play euchre. Nice. Uh, he I, picked I, it up I, real quick, man. Did he? He did. I, I was impressed. I've learned and forgotten euchre probably about four or five times. Yeah, it's it's a super Ohio Michigan game, man. Not even people around here really play it, but he picked it up quick, and me and him were whooping some ass, bro. We 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 won two two series actually. So the old Bob Euchre, <laughs> right on. But That's cool. It was it was good, man. We we definitely missed you, but I mean, I guess we just have to go back then. I guess agreed. I'd like to throw uh, Colorado Springs into the mix. Yeah, that's I, Babs was saying. It's similar. It's pretty nice. Yeah, it's cool. It's just like the city's right on the mountains, whereas Denver, it's like far away from the mountains. Uh-huh. Not far away, like 45 minutes, you know? It's it's like kind of inconveniently close, especially the airport, man. And we, and we mm-hmm. went to see uh, Dave Attell on Friday. Oh, he nice. fucking murdered, by the way. But from our Airbnb, it was like an hour 30 because we were up in the mountains. So we had to come like down from the mountains into Denver, then go south side Denver. Like, it's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's it's not it's not close. That's why I like Colorado Springs because it's right there, fifteen yeah. minutes and you're in the mountains. It's is right it elevation there. like high? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, about six thousand. Nice, that's good. Yeah, I, dude, there's a lot I want to go see out there, man. I want to go see Tahoe. We were talking about another trip to the Grand Canyon. I'd love to okay. take a dude's trip to Austin too and go to like Rogan's new uh, comedy venue he's opening up. Um, Southern Utah is one of the craziest places I've ever been. I think everybody should go to Southern Utah. Just like. If you drive along, I forget what the freeway is. In Utah, I'm trying 80, to think. 90? I forget. If you drive across it from Colorado to Nevada, there's five five different national parks along the way. Mm-hmm. And each one of them are different. It's wild. That's the drive we took. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. right through, uh, I think we're on 70, right? Didn't we come 70, through 70 that's through what Denver? 70. Yeah. yeah. 70. That, that was a beautiful through. drive, man. Dude, it's it's nuts. Yeah. Everybody yeah. needs to check it out. It's wild. Uh, Bryce Canyon is just, don't even believe your eyes. It's, it's just some of the most, it's the coolest place I've ever been. Moab, nuts. Um, I, we didn't do Zion, but yeah. I'm sure it's just as um, amazing. Callie, Chris Kelly's mom's running a marathon in Moab this summer, so they're going there for the whole, what? for a big ass, yeah. yeah she's like a in the summer? She's an ultra marathoner, bro. Is she's she run really? like Ironmans and shit, yeah. She's, Chris she's Callahan's real mother? Deal. Real deal, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, they had had like some uh, like some addictions and stuff from back in their life, and they conquered them, bro, and used exercise to power through. Huh. And, uh, what? Yeah, I, 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 that I happens a lot. That happens a lot with people, man. Once they overcome addiction in one way or the other. I know another girl too who 
um, did the exact same thing, and and she's a, locked into exercise, man. And they, a lot of people say it's like the one thing to get their mind off that kind of shit, when, especially when they first start. Um, That's funny because I run specifically to keep my addiction to donuts. <laughs> it's the only reason I run so that I can eat as many donuts as I want. I, yeah, so I think I'm that's a little different than maybe like a substance addiction, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know how many donuts you're eating, so. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I can't speak for Utah. I haven't really seen much of the South other than what we went through, but I, we went and stayed uh, with Sarah and did hiking up in like Salt Lake and Provo. And it, it is just amazing, man. Some of the, maybe the best round of golf I've ever played scenery wise. Mm. I, I believe it. I believe it. Can you teach me how to throw a frisbee though? Because we played disc golf <laughs> and it did not go well, dude. dude. It's hard. It's not as easy as you might think it might be. No, dude. Dude. just a frisbee. You're just like, nope. Yeah, but I was the only one that really couldn't figure it out, and I just felt like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is like throwing it somewhat straight, and mine was like releasing to the right. It's kind of like my drive, I guess. In golf, it, it guess it carries over, but perhaps it's not for you. <laughs> perhaps. Well, uh, you know what is for you? I think uh, meth. You're a pretty regular user, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah man. The meth. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> Love um, it. I have a story about meth. Talk to me. The Atlantic came uh, out with a story, a whole uh, a marathon of a story, pardon the pun. It's a giant story. If you have an hour, you might want to sit down. I'm not even exaggerating. It's a... Tremendously long story, but they chronicle meth. And the message is that we do not understand this drug. I think, you know, like you talk to um, like some some boomers and they like try weed for the first time in 25 years. Like, oh, man, this isn't the weed that I smoked (laughs) back in the, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is way stronger. This is crazy. Um, I don't know if we've ever like given that respect to any other drug that it might have transformed over time. Uh, This story chronicles the transformation of meth in the past when 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 meth was being made back in like the 80s and 90s it was made predominantly from ephedrine and ephedrine is basically pseudofed right Mm. over-the-counter decongestant the ability to make meth back in the day was dependent on the ability to procure ephedrine and there was another way that was used by biker gangs back uh, in like the early 80s hell's angels uh, comes to mind in the in the American Southwest, and they use this clear liquid chemical called phenyl two propanone. We're gonna call it P two P from from here on out. That's what we're gonna refer it to as. And this P two P could be synthesized from a number of different chemicals: lye, mercury, sulfuric acid, hydrochloric acid, um, all that were you know available. You could purchase these chemicals, um, you know, without having to prove what you were doing basically. So, um, this method kind of was complicated and it was super dangerous. So it wasn't big, right? It wasn't widely used. Fast forward to 2006 and this DEA agent by the name of Joe Bazenko was studying some meth that was seized from, um, the border of us and Mexico. And he discovered that this meth that he was, uh, investigating was made using the P2P method. Now the P2P method is important because Unlike using ephedrine, this P2P method gives you two different types of meth, D-methamphetamine and L-methamphetamine. The D-meth is the, quote, good meth. It's what gets you high, right? L-meth is what makes your fucking heart race like a rabbit being chased by a Cody, but it doesn't get you high. It doesn't affect your brain. So they thought this was curious, right? Because you can't separate the two. It's just part of making it with this method. And... One of the more significant things about this finding is that they re- the DEA realized that um, meth was no longer subject to seasons or soil. It was available at all times because these right. chemicals were available at all times, right? So think of like organic meth going the way of synthesized meth or weed versus K2, if that means anyone anything to anyone listening. Um or it's like the most common, it's like everyone's dying from it. A fentanyl. Fentanyl, yeah. It's instead of like heroin, right? Kind of the same thing. It was even part of the plot of the show Breaking Bad. This P2P method, making it using this P2P method instead of having to get um, ephedrine. So legal marijuana in the United States plays a role in this story because 
meth de drug dealers in Mexico figured something out. They figured out that they can make a drug that one doesn't rot like weed does that can be created in weeks instead of months like weed needs. And it had huge demand in the United States. So they switched from making, from growing weed to making meth. And the results can be seen in the streets of San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, Sacramento, any city along the Pacific seaboard. Prices of meth from 2000, the year 2000 levels dropped 90% in 2016. And this P2P method of meth just flooded American streets. And meth users from, you know, 10 years ago that are interviewed in the story are saying like, hey, there was a very noticeable difference, right? Like we took meth and it wasn't great, but it didn't do this, right? So, so make no mistake, meth of any kind will damage your brain. But this P2P method seems to affect users at a level that we didn't see before. Whereas meth used to take years to notice effects, long-term mental health effects, P2P takes months or even weeks to completely destroy your brain. Mm. Um, there is a neuropsychologist from West Virginia University who used to work at UCLA. And he said that when he was studying meth back in the day at UCLA, compared to this stuff now, he said, I can't even compare it to what I was seeing at UCLA. Now we're seeing it instantaneously within hours in people who just use psychotic systems, hallucin hallucinations, and delusions. In Portland, Oregon, they used to have these things called sobering stations where people could go, alcoholics or addicts or whatever, they could go and they could sober up for like six to eight hours, right? And they would have people there and it was, it was a great deal. They had to close these places because people with, with these conditions with meth were coming in. And um, one of the workers there, Rachel Solitaroff, says, quote, the degree of mental health disturbance in the wave of psycho psychosis the profound, profound disorganization is something I've never seen before. If they're not raging and agitated, they can be completely non-communicative. Treating addiction relies on your ability to have a connection with someone, but I've never experienced something like this where there's no way in to that person. And the problem with meth is that you don't overdose, at least not very regularly. You simply decay. So that brings, that brings us to like, I think what is the crux of this story and that is homelessness. Um, this is Los Angeles Police Department beat officer Dion Joseph, who's worked Skid Row for 22 years. It seemed that people were losing their minds faster. They'd be okay when they were just using crack. Then in 2014, with meth, all of a sudden, they became mentally ill. They deteriorated into mental illness faster than I ever saw with crack cocaine. In LA, homelessness, listen to this shit, homelessness doubled, more than doubled, from 2012 to 2020, eight years, more than double. This police officer uh, said that the most visible homelessness, people sleeping on sidewalks or in tents um, that crowd the city's neighborhoods was clearly due to the new meth. There was a sea of change, quote, there was a sea of change with respect to meth being the main drug of choice beginning about 2008. Now it's the number one drug. And this is the last thing I'll say about this. Um, and this is quoting directly from the article. Remarkably, Meth rarely comes up in city discussions on homelessness or in newspaper articles about it. They call it the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it. He said, there's a desire to not stigmatize the homeless as drug users. Policymakers and advocates instead prefer to focus on LA's cost of housing, which is very high, but hardly relevant to people rendered psychotic and unemployable by methamphetamine. And I think we see a ton of that. Um... Just like in general, we, we, we want to like colloquialize something or, or, or we don't want to call something what it is, right? Like if we're seeing that people are absolutely losing their fucking minds due to this drug use, we should call that what it is. Yeah, like housing prices in LA or in San Diego, anywhere in California are extraordinarily high, but that has almost nothing to do with the fact that the amount of meth use right now which is something that I didn't know about until I read this article is not only profound and abundant, but is also the most damaging thing in our streets right now. And isn't that wild? Who the fuck would have thought? It's believable to me because I mean, to me, it'd be meth or crack. Like I want to think that these homeless people are like smoking weed. Really? I don't know, man. I, I almost think that like they don't want to crack down on it 
because they think that maybe it's the most efficient way of ridding them of homeless people. But I, I think that like it probably creates more homeless people or keeps people homeless longer than it, than it does get rid of them. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't crack down on that, though. Welcome to the Cynical Hour featuring Alex Kenyon. God bless. <laughs> I hear you, man. I mean, I don't know. That's fuck. That's not as far fetched as, as an idea that that exists. But like, why wouldn't you crack down on it? I guess if if you had the resources to do so, because I, I mean, you guys always talk to me about like the bogus amount of money that you guys put into your homeless problem. Like, I would think that some of that could go towards fighting this, but I don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't really know what the whole answer is to that. Like, what are they supposed to like create apartment buildings and like communities for these people so that they can like live together and like get their shit together and wean off drugs? Well, and, well, well, sure. But, but I think, you know, the message right there in that last paragraph was that it's irrelevant what you do to try and lift somebody up who doesn't mm. exist in their own mind. Right. Um, so, I mean, do we just take them out to pastor? I don't know. They, they, they chronicled a guy in the article and he said that it took him like a year and a half to like get back to like semi-normal. He said he couldn't, couldn't put sentences together. He couldn't smile. He didn't have thoughts like this. Oh this drug is not like, it's not, a, it's not a drug. It's, it's, it's like pretty much just like a death sentence as soon as you smoke it. And the the problem is that right now, the way that it's being manufactured is all down south in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And this article goes, I'm telling you, man, it goes so crazy in depth into the manufacturing of meth. And there's literal hundreds of thousands of labs in Mexico right now that are making this stuff. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands. Just pushing them through. They'll get, they'll get raided. Nobody gets arrested. On to the next. On to the next. So it seems to be, I mean, according to this article seems to be, you know, the number one drug export right now, not weed, not cocaine. How do you stop it? Shit, man. I don't know. You know, I was thinking about that today because I had this sales meeting a couple of weeks ago and one of, one of the, I forget who it was, one of our, one of our uh, uh, managers was, or executives was talking and they go, you know, don't ever come to me with a problem. Don't ever come to me just with a problem. Come to me with what you think the solution to that problem would be, and let's talk about it. And I fucking love that. And I, I tried to think about this here, like, like what could we do other than just highlighting problems? Could we, in fact, provide an idea for a solution for something like this? It, up until this point in my mind, the solution has been the legalization of drugs. And I think that mm. you can see if you legalize marijuana that they just go on to the next. But if you fully full scale blanket legalize everything and then regulate it, they're going to be pushing out P2P. I didn't say legalize the, the production and, and, and sale of it, but, but to de- to, to decriminalize being a drug user. Okay. But then how does that solve the problem of homeless people? Yeah, I guess you would going have to crazy. Like, find a, have like an avenue of distribution so that they could get it from a regulated source versus getting it from. Yeah. An we talked about source. this before. I thought like we kind of like in Washington, was it, was it Oregon or Washington? Yeah. They were going to Oregon, Portland. Yes. Oregon. Yeah. I just don't know. I, I don't know if, if that just becomes like a soup line for meth at that point for homeless people, or like if they would actually go there with the, like the hopes are actually like trying to get, off of meth, but like I, from what I understand, if, it's very addictive. Yeah, but, but if you could be realistic about the situation and be like, all right, well, we can pretty confidently say this many people are using meth right now. We want to disincentivize them to use this meth. One avenue of doing that is the law. But I think what we see is that the law just perpetuates a cycle that does nothing to cure what ails this person. Now, I don't even know if there's something that you could cure. This is something you could cure. But if that is the avenue that we've chosen and we have, we have a, a century plus worth of data that shows us that that is not effective. What if we say, hey, we have this many people on meth and we, if we keep this many people on meth of our own accord and we simply break even in that respect, then what we have done is we have eliminated the need to flood the streets of illegal meth 
We can control the supply. We can control what it is, what it, what the chemical structure of it is, what they're consuming. We're not saying it's good, but we're saying we now have some semblance of control over it. To me, that is the lesser of two evils. It's a tough sell. Don't get me wrong. I don't, yeah, I, have, yeah. I have absolutely no illusions that this would ever work in our lifetimes ever. Um, you know, and, and we could name 10 people off the top of our heads who, who, who would never in a million years even entertain the idea of it because of what they think it means. But I don't know of another, I don't know of a better solution. I don't know of anything else that works better than that. Cynical Alex here again. How you doing? Makes me just kind of makes me think about like when supposedly uh, the CIA introduced like crack cocaine into ghettos in like the 80s Mm -hmm. as a way to, you know, do what they needed to do uh, with their own secret agendas. Some will say it's it was racially based. Some will say other things, but can't I can't help but think that like. Although I do know drugs get into America across the border, the, the cynical part of me wants to be like, well, maybe they're like letting the shit cross the border in hopes that it does take them out, man. Or, or, you know, maybe the thought is like to make it stronger so that we can solve this problem another way. Like I, I could see that happening too, man. I really could. I, I don't know. That sounds crazy, I guess, but possibly. I mean, we we have we have you know legalized opiates that have claimed countless millions of, of people, you know, and that's legal. Yeah. You can right. Go to a doctor right now. And you could say, Hey, I ran a marathon and I hurt. I need something for the pain. And he'll give you legal heroin. You know, I, I, you're not out of bounds, man. Uh, yeah. I, it's I just think, sad to think about I, I, I that. I don't we necessarily would... believe that, but, but mm. to, to say that it's out of the realm of possibility, I think would be a little naive. But like, so how do you fix this though? Like I, we have homeless people here for sure. But yeah, most of them go your way. They're coming to the warm 20, you know, warm year round kind of places. So like, how do you, short of building like full on mini cities for these people, like how the fuck do you solve that problem? Because it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. I don't know that I have the answer to that question, but I do have the answer to the question of how not to solve it. And that is what we are doing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like everything, like everything that I have a complaint about, everything that I will disagree about talking in this public forum otherwise. I believe that the intentions are noble and the intentions of San Diego to build tent cities or for LA to do whatever the hell they're doing. The intentions are noble, but governmentally we have absolutely no hope. Our government, our government cannot save us from this crisis. They don't have the tools and they cannot move fast enough to make a problem like this uh, become solved. I think what we need is a lot of outside the box thinking from uh, private organizations, preferably um, charities or, or organizations that run off, non, off, off of no profit nonprofits that go in and do the hard uh, legwork to make something like legal methamphetamine center a reality yeah because if we don't try it if we don't try it then i think that's the greatest sin that's missing the mark the worst way if we do try it and nothing gets better well then we can say hey let's put this idea to bed we tried it maybe it didn't make anything worse but it certainly didn't make anything better and we move on to the next, but just throw in millions of dollars at it. All that does is create another market that creates another institution that creates another source of greed for people who don't need the money, but will receive it. Uh, my idea is that all the money that's being spent doing whatever it's been doing, I think the U.S. government should subsidize plane tickets, one-way plane tickets. We'll pay for you to leave. Good luck. To where? <laughs> Wherever they fucking go. I don't know. Who cares? How about a plane? Bye. I hate that idea because <laughs> they're all going to choose San Diego. No, I'm saying uh, leave America. You have one international plane ticket subsidized by the government. Leave. Right, so Start you're over. Outsource the problem. Exactly. 
So like refugees showing up at our doorstep, we send our we best send them and brightest out. off. Yeah. To the, yeah. We're taking people in. We got to take people out too. You know, you got to, it's yeah. a rotating door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There is no simple answer. Um, yeah. And uh, there's no simple answer for a lot of things. Have you, have you seen the latest on Dave Chappelle? He's continued to get torched. What you got for me? Um, he posted something on, so I don't know. We don't have to, I think, did we talk about Dave Chappelle? I think briefly. Kind of. Yeah. The one thing that people, well, first of all, if you've not watched the special from start to finish, then your opinion is absolutely not valid because that agreed anything. And it's like anything you take a snippet of anything that doesn't tell the whole story. The one thing that he's getting torched over is that he said the words I'm team turf in describing that JK Rowling defended women as women. He likened be trans people. He likened the way that women feel about trans people the same way that black people feel about somebody else doing blackface and that they're doing an impression of what a woman is. And then he went on to say that everybody in this room had to pass the legs of a woman to be here. That is, I think, the one clip that he's getting a lot of flack over. But is he and wrong? Is that no, statement I, I, wrong? I, I, I any, you know what I mean? I certainly don't think so. I certainly don't think so. I don't see um, why people trip on it, man. Like that's a, that's a, a true statement. Yeah. So, so he, he came out with this little snippet on his Instagram yesterday and not a whole lot of new there, but he did mention that over the course of the pandemic in 2020, he had a lot of comedians, famous comedians come to his house in Ohio and they did whatever, talked, did comedy. I don't know, but he filmed it and made a documentary about it. He's trying to sell this documentary and nobody wants to touch it. Really? Now, Not even Netflix, huh? I think Netflix might be the only one or the only one that isn't saying no. I don't know. But how interesting is that? Name me a more famous comedian. Joe Rogan doesn't count because he's a famous podcaster. He's not famous for his comedy, although he is a comedian and a good one. I like his comedy, but, but who's a more famous comedian than Dave Chappelle? Not anyone I, can't I can think, think of. No. Longevity wise, especially, I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think Rogan's standups very good compared to how good no. of a product he puts out podcast wise. Like, I, I think he's sure the king of sure, that. That's I, a fair statement. I don't um, like how he talks like this the whole time during his standup and he's yelling at you and just talking. <laughs> I don't like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. But yeah, I don't think there's a more famous one. Yet this guy, the most famous comedian in the world, can't sell his documentary because of what he said to, about trans people about speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's my problem. Like you don't, you don't have a say in this if you haven't watched the whole thing. Cause if you've watched the whole thing, then you'll understand that. Oh, what he said really wasn't that offensive in the grand scheme of the entire conversation. Cause right. it wasn't. And I don't know, man. And so he ended that clip. He said, am I canceled or am I not? Yeah. You know, you know, sh you know, shit or get off the pot really. And I don't think he cares one way or the other, but it is interesting that nobody wants to talk to touch this documentary. It's interesting that this one very particular community has so much power. Isn't that odd? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me because I didn't. I still don't really think it's like that huge of a community. It's not. It truly like, is, I, is a, a fractional percentage of our total community. And not to say that like their opinions, their feeling, like all that shit doesn't count. But like at the same time, like one, he's a comedian. He's up there telling jokes in this. If you watch the special front to back, that's not even what he's like. He's joking, but he's really up there to make a point. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's more, it's, it's Chappelle making a point with some jokes in it. And I think his points are so valid, man. And, and, and like, so what the people, the turfs that feel like very, disrespected by that kind of a movement like their feelings don't matter like the, their their outrage doesn't matter but the feelings of transgender people trump supersede and trump those and cancel this man for making points not even really being offensive yeah yeah it's 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 funny to me i don't know i i don't understand how anybody could think that they're above ridicule you know and it's not even ridicule. Like it truly wasn't yeah. even ridicule. It wasn't, there was, there was no like, you know, I, I think in this last special, there was a, there was a bunch of ridicule. I mean, and it, it was funny to me. I, the jokes he made were, I think, hilarious. You know, if you can't laugh along, if you can't allow yourself to be 
poked at and prodded and, and may be made fun of, then how are you ever going to get anybody's support? And not that anybody's not trying to support you in the first place, but it's like, like something so innocuous, so undamaging right. as this special causes this visceral reaction. It's like, well then, you know, if you're not going to pick your battles, then you're never going to gain any sort of support from rational people. It's always going to be the fringe of your side versus the fringe of another side. And that's what you're going to see be highlighted in public spaces like social media and everybody else who is you and I, and literally everybody else is going to be like, eh, eh, I don't think it was that bad. I love yeah. you. I support who you'd like to be, but kind of telling the truth. It's me and Sarah, we're, we're kind of talking about this and I, I, I think I brought this up before, but to me, sex is a definable thing at birth. That's, that's a fact. Everyone knows that gender is, is based off feelings. Like that's, that's all I can surmise from my 30 years here of most is that gender is this made up thing that is based off feelings, which, which is fine. Like that's, that is a truth in our world today. But what separates that me, I'm born a man. And at some point during my life, I decide that I feel like I'm a woman and, and that's how I want to live my life. And I, I change. What is the difference between that and someone who would be born a white person, but maybe grew up in a ghetto, was surrounded by friends that were black or whatever, and decides that he is black. He feels he's black and should be part of the African-American community. Maybe he wants to dye his skin brown. Maybe he doesn't. But like he identifies as black based off his feelings. What is the difference? No one, and I've said, I've, I've never been able to ask this to a transgender person. I really, really want to. I would love to have one come on the show and talk to him about it. Very respectfully, I'd love to have an open conversation about it. I'm not trying to like bash or anything, but I've had this conversation with black people at least. And I, I've never, some have agreed with me, some have disagreed, but I've never heard a convincing argument to what separates those two, that comparison. Yeah, and, for sure. And me and Sarah, we went back and forth about this and, and like we... She couldn't really give me an answer either that like pleased me. But what we kind of came to at the conclusion of our conversation is a question that I would I really want to ask a transgender person or several. And the question is, what is different about you living life as the sex you were born versus identifying as the opposite sex and doing all the same things you want to do? It's 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 so difficult because almost anything that you could say is so contradictive to anything that's out there, right? Because you could say, well, this person really feels in their in their head or in their their heart that they are a woman when they were actually born with male genitals, right? With that's what they were born with. Mm -hmm. But then to say that is to then admit that there are genders, two genders. So when does it become, you know, the, the lines are blurred. There's gender dysmorphia. I feel that I should have been born a woman, but I was born with male genitals. Okay. I think there's that. And there's also, I also hear like, I identify more with the female whatever so that that and that's what i relate to more so then i am identifying with my own definition of what it means to be a woman but the, the both of the things you just said are based off feelings they're based on how you feel not what sure. is sure no 100% but but what i'm saying is like i think one of them is more based off of like yeah like a feeling but 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 more so like a like a like a uncontrollable um sense of longing right like like a like this, like something that is so true to you that it isn't a feeling, but it's more so just a part of who you are. Right. But like a white kid that was born into a Baltimore ghetto and raised around all black people his entire life could feel the exact same way and would get destroyed if he tried to do what I just described. hundred percent. And you see it all the time. Rachel Dolezal. I, I don't know. I just, I always think that's such a, a crazy, uh, interesting point. And I've never been able to be talked down from that point. So if, if you, hear this and you think otherwise, please send us an email, bummerdude.media, gmail.com. Uh, or if you know someone that want to, that wants to come on and talk to us, like I would love for this to be further described to me because I, I don't have any problem with it. I just don't really understand it. That, and that's it, man. 
there is a, a fundamental misunderstanding that if we're to bridge this gap, to bridge this divide, then, you know, that's going to need to take place. That reaching out like, hey, I don't understand you, but you're shouting from the rooftops that your rights are being infringed upon and that your people are being killed for just being who they are and all this. It's like, well, hold on. I don't see that. And I, I see you as you, but it seems to me that every time this community is brought up, there is a, it's like a, it's like that move in poker where like somebody raises your bet and then you just go all in and you drop the freaking hammer down. It's like mm-hmm. every time that there's something publicly, like, like they're just all in to attack anything that says anything about being trans. Like, I don't understand that. Why is that reaction there? Why is it necessary? Why is it also a congealed message? Why is it like everybody's on the same page in that community, but only in that community? And then people who want to support, they just kind of echo what you're saying. Whereas on the other hand, you know, we're here just like, can't you still be you without this? I think from what I'm able to see and listen, almost all of what I'm able to take away from this is what I see on Twitter. So take that for what it's worth, because I don't really like Twitter. I do not think it's an accurate representation of the entire world. But from what I'm able to gather, it's that if you're a trans woman, you want to be seen as a woman. And if you're a trans man, you want to be seen as the same, which fine. But then also, if you're breaking down the traditional idea or the traditional definition of what it means to be a woman, then by that very action you have discredited yourself because you've said, okay, this is the definition of a woman based off of what I feel. So how could that not make somebody who was born a woman say, Hey, hold on a second. Okay. Raise my hand real quick. Uh, what the fuck? Why are you now defining what it is? I liked what womanhood was. I really enjoyed what we were fighting for. And if you want to be a part of this fight, great, but maybe take a back seat a little bit. I am sympathetic to your struggle, but also you don't understand us. So immediately you're not able to come in and say what a woman is, regardless of how you feel or or how strongly you are. And you know, like we can be sympathetic with you, but also you don't get to just like grab the freaking steering wheel and, and, you know, and steer this. And, and that goes all the way back to my point in the beginning. How is it that they've been able to, that, they, that this community has been able to do that? Why is it that we allow that to happen? And couldn't we just kind of check it a little bit? I'm like, mm, pump the brakes just slightly. Let's see for a second because there's, you know, this is a distinct minority and it's all very new. So you know, allow this thing to happen. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are transgender people being killed left and right because somebody went on a date with somebody and found a dick they weren't expecting to find. I don't know, but I don't think so. And I don't see publicly at least, or, you know, there being a giant amount of ridicule for people choosing a gender that isn't theirs. And, and, to be quite fair, that isn't normal, quote unquote normal. That isn't something that we have seen almost ever. So if it's something that you want to have, that we want to say that we want to have be part of our society, well, then you got to expect some backlash if you just all at once want it to be accepted by everybody everywhere and and like not have the the, the recognition that while your situation is your situation, it is quite rare and different from what we've been going, that we've been experiencing so far. So I feel like everybody should be cut some slack here and on every angle of this and just take a breath. We're, you know, we're all pretty much running the same race here. And I don't, I don't know that we need to really like have this reaction every time Dave Chappelle wants to make a joke about trans people. It's frustrating because then, yeah. it, and then it becomes a bigger fucking conversation about being canceled and what we can and cannot say. And it's like, that. come on, like that, it shouldn't have to be this way. 
How, yeah. how, how, how much better would it be if we all laughed along? Like, huh, you know what? It is actually, when you, when you step back and look at it, it is a pretty funny predicament and we recognize that and appreciate you Dave for, for, for choosing us to make fun of and bring it to light. And you know, I don't know, a little humility maybe can laugh and grow and learn from these things instead of like, let them just further divide. But like, it just seems like kind of got to roll with the punches a little bit and, and like, like, so we can all grow together. Not, not to like talk down on anybody or, or, or diminish them, but, but to me, it doesn't really matter. Oh, you're a fucking cis, cisgendered male. You can say that. Like, I get it. Yeah. Understood. But also it doesn't really matter. I think we have this, terrible habit of celebrating identity so much that it becomes this issue now that we have to, like, I don't want to talk about this. It's not something like I just it, like enjoy sitting here to talk about when I, when I hear Dave Chappelle say that he made a documentary and nobody wants to touch it. And the only reason, the only logical conclusion is that he is under fire right now for something that he said to the trans community. It's like, wait a second, like hold the fucking phone a minute. Like, like, no, that's way bigger than just making jokes about the trans community. It's about your mission here is to drag somebody down who said something that you don't agree with. And that's the only thing. And your actions towards that are what matter to me, at least. And what should matter to everybody is what you do should matter, not what you say. And also, this dude has made a living of making fun of white people, black people, all kinds of people, his entire life, man. Like this isn't and, like some new Dave Chappelle we've never heard of. This right. is what the dude does. Like, and you know what? It's fucking hilarious. Everybody yes. loved it when he was making fun of white people. He did the race draft, and it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Cletus, the racist black dude. I mean, like, yeah. when it was about race, it was great. I don't hear he was making tons of jokes about gay people during. I don't hear anything about gay people being mad about him calling new gays soft and you know, oh, like, yeah, I, like, yeah, yeah. you know like it was all funny but there's just this one little snippet apparently they have power though if no one's picking this thing up because that's possibly the goat of comedy at least in our lifetime <sighs> i agree with you man and he's very uh, poignant um okay one more story for you guys and then we'll get out of here i'm going to make this very quick i've been reading a book called talking to strangers by malcolm gladwell and uh, it basically goes over a bunch of different historical uh, examples of how we interact with strangers. And from what I can tell so far, the message of this book is that we are awful <laughs> at determining who strangers are and what they mean and what they're trying to say. We are terrible uh, at it. So he chronicles a story in the 1980s of a uh, gentleman by the name of Florentino Aspiaga. Florentino Aspiaga was a spy for Cuba for like 27 years. And he was like top of the tops. And um, after a while, he became incredibly disenfranchised with Fidel Castro and what he did with Cuba. He thought that Castro and communism destroyed his homeland. So he took his stories and his secrets he took a car to uh, from the Cuban embassy in Prague, drove to Vienna, and surrendered himself to the United States embassy. <laughs> and he said that he wanted to talk to one person, one person only. And this guy is dubbed the mountain climber. He's a very um, famous CIA spy who was held in, in very high regard for his work in Cuba and other places. So this guy... Um, Florentino was enamored by this mountain climber guy. He, he wanted to meet him. Um, he thought the world of him. And so he meets him and they talk for a minute. And then he says, okay, I'm going to tell you what I know. And so he goes and he, and he likes, they bring him pictures of CIA agents and one after the other, after the other, he's a double, he's a double He's a double. He's a double. I think it was like 25 CIA spies that were working in Cuba were double agents for Fidel Castro, right? Wow. <clears throat> so to further pour salt on this one, I mean, the CIA is obviously humiliated. They couldn't believe it. And he yeah. provides all this proof. He's like, yeah, you know, 
I know what you know. You know this, this, and this. And the reason you know this is because we wanted you to know this. That's the only reason. The information that you're getting is because we're giving it to you. It's either false or selectively uh, chosen for your for your ears only. So to further pour salt on this wound, Castro figures out that this guy defected and he had been filming these, he'd been filming CIA spies who were not double agents in Cuba. They knew who the spies were, the U.S. spies. He'd been filming them like almost like the camera was like right here in this room, like right at me, crystal clear. The, the audio was perfect. And he, he, um, uh, released this, like, I forget how many, like five part documentary showing how he knew about all these U S spies in Cuba and all these other spies that were in Cuba were doubles and he created this documentary and it just was literally like the entire CIA's pants fucking pulled (laughs) right in front of Damn crazy man like you know you don't hear about this and probably for the best so that we have some faith in our intelligence agencies and they're in this book they chronicle more stories that you know i think we'll share um in in the episodes of the future but um i wanted to share it's interesting and and again the whole theme of this book is that we do not know what we're dealing with when it comes to strangers i think the next example that we'll talk about is how judges choose who gets let out on bail and who doesn't and how they perform against a computer who does not see or know any details of a person's life. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm game. Cool. Cool. I am also game for drinking a good smooth cup of coffee because that's a treat all by itself. But when you can do that, and help American heroes like veterans and first responders, it is that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every single item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our great country. From their medium blend, the Moab, uh, the Double Dark, the Battle Roast, and even their CBD-infused blend, the Medic, all of their coffees are smooth without that acid or bitterness. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or single-serve pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10 to save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. That is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. That's right. That's right. You can reach us if you'd like. We'd like you to. Uh, you can uh, reach us on Twitter at FriendshipNH. You can reach us on Instagram and TikTok. Both our handles on each of those platforms is at FriendshipNewsHour. And you can send us an email at uh, email bummerdude.media at gmail.com. Bummerdude.media at gmail.com. And we shall see you next time.